good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. We invite all those who are able to stand in body or spirit out of respect for the Word of God and in solidarity with Christians around the world. And it comes to us today through the power of the Spirit from Psalm 49. Let us attend to the wisdom of the Word of God. Hear this, all you peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the harp. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of my persecutors surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches? Truly no ransom avails for one's life. There is no price one can give to God for it. For the ransom of life is costly and can never suffice, that one should live on forever and never see the grave. When we look at the wise, they die. Fool and dolt perish together and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they name the lands their own. Mortals cannot abide in their pomp. They are like the animals that perish such as the fate of the foolhardy, the end of those who are pleased with their lot. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd. Straight to the grave they descend, and their form shall waste away. Sheol shall be their home. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for He will receive me. Do not be afraid when some become rich, when the wealth of their houses increases. For when they die, they will carry nothing away. Their wealth will not go down after them. Though in their lifetime they count themselves happy, for you are praised when you do well for yourself, they will go to the company of their ancestors, who will never again see the light. For mortals cannot abide in their pomp. They are like the animals that perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Once again, those who are able are invited to stand for our second lesson. This comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew as we continue to hear words from the Sermon on the Mount, beginning with the first verse of chapter 6, the Gospel of Matthew. Listen to God's word. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the, in the streets so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your alms may be done in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. But do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your, your Father forgive you your trespasses. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites do, for they love to disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations, the thoughts of all of our hearts and minds be found now acceptable in your sight. O Lord, you are our rock, immovable and strong, upon which we stand. You are our Redeemer, our Savior, and our friend. We pray in your name. Amen. This morning we continue our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount entitled Salt and Light, remembering that Jesus in this Sermon on the Mount has called us to be salt, to be the ones who preserve and protect as salt does, to be those who bring out the God flavor, the essence of life as salt does. We are called to be light and to shine so that others may see our good works, to shine like a city on a hill, like a candle on a lampstand, that others may see our light, our good works, and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. And so we continue to hear the Sermon on the Mount this morning. The title of the sermon is An Audience of One. So let me begin by asking you this. Who are you living for? Whose approval do you seek by the manner in which you live? What kind of impact do you wish to have upon whom? And how does this desire in you shape your living? An audience of one. Reminds me of a story of one Sunday morning after the worship service. There were a few people milling around in the sanctuary, as happens here after worship. And the ushers were cleaning up bulletins or do the things that ushers have to do at the end of a worship service. And a little boy made his way up onto the chancel area. And found his place behind the pulpit, kicked out the little stool that's back there for the shorter among us, and he climbed up, and the microphone was still on, and he began to say, hello, hello, look at me, hey mommy, 
Mommy, look at me, Mommy. And one of the ushers turned to the other and said, I think I just heard that sermon. Jesus would have us today think about living our lives for an audience of one. And that audience is not our mother's, although she is probably a close second. None of us want to disappoint our mothers. But the audience of one of which Jesus speaks is the Lord God Almighty, the Creator. That is the audience of one. And thinking about this, I remember the work of Soren Kierkegaard, who's a Danish theologian, who wrote powerfully back at the beginning of, or the end of the 19th century, somewhere along in there. But he is credited with this idea of the theater of worship. I've spoken of this before. Let me remind you of Kierkegaard's thought here, because he thinks of the place of worship as a theater. And this morning, it looks like we're all set up like the Springer to have a performance here. We have a stage. We have actors and actresses. And we have an audience. But what Kierkegaard does is turns all of that on its head. He flips it upside down. And those who you see in front this morning, we are not the actors or actresses. We are merely prompters in the wings, helping the actors and actresses on the stage do their work to prompt and prod and direct and cajole and assist in the performance. Because this is not the stage. Actually, you are sitting on stage right now. You are on the stage. This is your performance. This worship opportunity. And who is your audience? But God alone. And how is God looking at your performance this morning? Will God be pleased with your engagement in the prayers and the praise and the worship and the offering and surrendering of yourself to God in grateful praise and adoration? An engagement with thought and opening of your heart and your mind. Would God be pleased in the ways that you are performing, not just here on Sunday morning though, because this worship deal, this audience of one, is not just one hour a week. Woo, got that done. Check it off my list. And now I can go on with my week until next week. No. This life, this performance, this offering ourselves to an audience of one continues all week long. We are playing the entirety of our lives to an audience of one. Every thought, every decision, every action. Is it directed to God? Is it pleasing to God? Is it life-giving to others? Is it a life that is lived on the stage of this world punctuated by joy? and by gratitude. Joy and gratitude. And those two things together will bring us to humility. That's what Jesus is pressing on today in this part of the Sermon on the Mount. of Living that humble, grateful, joyful life. A wise person said once, they that know God will be humble. And they that know themselves will not be proud. They that know God will be humble. And they that know themselves will not be proud. 
And Jesus is preaching to the danger of pride, of parading our deeds in front of others to be praised by them. Be careful. Do not let your deeds of loving kindness and generosity be done before others so that you might seek their praise, but the praise of God alone. This reminds me of a story of Dr. Harry Ironsides who was once convicted about his lack of humility and his friend told him, I know what you need to do to help you work at becoming more humble. Put a sandwich board upon you and walk around the city of Chicago with the Word of God written there, shouting those verses of God's Word to all who would hear. And so Dr. Ironsides did just that And at the end of the day, he came back to his study and he took off the sandwich board and he said, I'll bet there's not another man in this whole town that would have done that. Those that know God will be humble. Those that know themselves will not be proud. Do not let your left hand then know what your right hand is doing. And what is done in secret will be rewarded by your Father who sees in secret. And when we live our lives focused on God and seeking the face of Jesus Christ, when in self-forgetting love, all that we do is concerned with pleasing the audience of one, it will shape the manner of our lives. Our lives take on a whole new meaning, a whole new purpose, a whole deeper peace and higher joy. And life becomes all about Jesus. For we are completely sold out for our Savior. We are all in for our Redeemer. And in humble adoration, we live our lives directed to God, who we we know in Christ Jesus. We live our lives to know Him, and then to make Him known. It's all about Jesus. It all points to Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. There was a famous preacher who one evening trying to get to his engagement became stranded and lo and behold, a stranger came along to rescue him and ended up taking him to his destination so that he might reach it in time and fulfill his obligation. And as they were preparing to part, the the famous preacher said, tell me your name that I may pray God's blessing upon you. And the man said, you're a minister. Tell me the name of the Good Samaritan. And the pastor replied, it's not given in the Scriptures his name. And the man said, until you can tell me his name, permit me to withhold mine. It's all for him. In 2007, a restaurant that serves a lot of steaks and has an Australian theme came out with the slogan, no rules, just right. I loved it. I love the restaurant. I eat there all the time. And they're getting free advertising right now. But they, they, they resurrected that theme because they felt like they needed to come back to the core of who they were as a restaurant to remind themselves who it is they were serving and what they were all about. They resurrected their theme, no rules, just right, because it's all about the customer, and the customer is always right, and there are no rules for us to break, but we just do it for the satisfaction of the customer. It's why we exist. And I took some liberty when I was thinking about their theme, 
And I switched it up and thought, maybe this would be a good theme for a church. Maybe First Presbyterian or any church. And so I came up with no egos, just Christ. So that when we come into the house of God, we check our ego at the door. It's not about us. It's not about our name, our title, our position, our heredity, our wealth, our power, or our influence. No, it's all about Jesus Christ. And so no egos here. Just Christ as the center. And this is what it means to be humble. It's what it means to talk about humility. It means to not think more highly or lowly of yourself than you ought to think. Because we are children of the King. We are fully accepted. We are totally loved. We are completely forgiven. I love Andrew Murray, a powerful spiritual writer with keen insights, and he writes about humility in this way. Humility is perfect quietness of the heart, no trouble. One is never vexed or irritated, sore or disappointed. To be humble means to expect nothing. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me and when I am blamed or despised. It is to have a blessed home in the Lord where I can go in and shut the door and kneel to my Father in secret and be at peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around is trouble. It is the fruit of the Lord Jesus Christ's redemption, His work on Calvary's cross, manifested in those of His own who are definitely subject to the Holy Spirit. This humility. And really, in a sense, Andrew Murray is talking about prayer, is he not? An intimate, a personal relationship with the living God that is not about show. And here is where Jesus teaches us to go into that private place, into that secret room where we shut the door and pray in secret. And our Father who is in secret hears us, and we hear Him. We hear the Lord, and He answers There's a story of a foreign visitor who was in our country some years ago, and it came evening, and he entered into a little phone room, a a phone booth, if you will, and the light was fading. It was difficult for him to see the number that he was trying to read to make his phone call and being frustrated because he could see a light on the ceiling of the little room but could find no switch to turn it on until a passerby came by and saw him in his distress and simply said, Sir... If you close the door, the light will come on. And so he did, and the room bathed in that light. He was able to see the number and place the call that he desired to make. In the same way, it is so with our life of prayer, with the living God. Jesus did the same. Jesus throughout his life modeled for us going to that lonely place, that secret place, that private place to pray. And Jesus teaches us as his followers to pray. And he says, don't pray with these specific words when he teaches the prayer. He says, pray in this manner, pray in this way, pray with this spirit, pray with this posture. And notice in the prayer that Jesus teaches, It is not about being self-concerned or self-centered, 
There are no personal pronouns in the manner in which God teaches us to pray. I, me, my. Yes, the Lord is my shepherd. Yes, the Lord is my rock. Yes, the Lord is my redeemer, my fortress, my stronghold. Jesus says, do not neglect to pray our Father, to cry out to Mama, to cry out to Daddy, and to say, give us Forgive us, lead us, deliver us. Your will, not my will, be done. And when we sit in this prayer, in this posture, in this language, in the context of not just a personal faith, but in a community that we find ourselves, a family, and we take it in and know our heavenly parents' love, it is enough for us God loves each one of us equally and completely. That love is for you. And when we take it in, we find life becoming so much more rich and full and powerful and peaceful when we know that love that comes through this kind of prayer and that intimate relationship with God. It's a prayer that then translates our lives to living for an audience of one. And that is what Jesus did. On the night when he was betrayed, he went to the place where he played, prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, and there he prayed again. He went apart by himself and prayed, not my will, but thy will be done. And then Jesus went out onto the world stage, and he gave the performance of a lifetime. And he gave not only the performance of his life, he actually gave his life for us so that we might have life. And there under the white, hot spotlight of God's love, they hung Jesus on the cross on top of a hill like a city set upon a hill, like a candle up upon a lampstand so that the whole world might see His good works and give glory to their mother, their father in heaven. And my brothers and sisters, we are called to do the same. To let our light so shine that others may see our good works and give glory to God who is in heaven. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.